You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. and we are chastened, don't despise it. Know that the Lord has a plan for you and it's his way of bringing you back to like a father or a mother who disciplines their children when they do wrong, trying to show them the correct way, trying to show them the right way to go. God uses this. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no condemnation here. I'm not pointing fingers and saying, there's no condemnation here for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's all about restoration. It's all about lifting up. It's all about looking to the Lord. Just as a father and mother who correct their children when they have misbehaved, God also corrects you when you've done wrong. As you listen to Pastor Dave today, remember, when you've made a mistake, there's always a way back. There can be restoration when you give it up to the Lord and turn back to Him. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11 as he continues his message, The Danger of Disobedience. You are I can give you one word. One word why. Does anybody want to guess? Why did God bring these back in to discipline Solomon? Four-letter word. Begins with L. Love. God loves Solomon. God loves Solomon. God loves you. And when you are in disobedience, he brings in things for because of his love. We're going to get to that in a little while. We're going to talk about that in a little while. The Lord didn't want to see Solomon continuing his sin. The Lord didn't want to see Solomon continuing the iniquity. So he sent these in hoping that it would shake him up. So that he would turn around and repent and come back to God. Don't tell me you haven't seen things in your life that have done the same thing. Things in your life that went, whoa, I better get back to God. Whoa, man, I'm on, I'm on the bad track here. What's interesting to me is some attacks come from the outside. Some attacks come from outside, people you might have known or people you don't know or people you have no idea who they are. But then there's attacks from inside. And God sets up the attacks from the inside. Let's look at 26 through 40. Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephraimite from Zeredah, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow who rebelled against the king. So Jeroboam rebels against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. Then Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at the time when Jeroboam went out to Jerusalem that a prophet, Ahijah, met him on the way. And he had clothed himself with a new garment, and two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give you give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel." 
because they have forsaken me and worship Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemes, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes, keep my statutes and my commandments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because I kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hands and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So, I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart's desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight, keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever." Solomon, therefore, sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Wow. Lots of words there. Lots of words. Interesting. Interesting words right there. So here we have another guy, another man within the house of Solomon, one of his servants, an Israelite, a mighty man of valor, one who Solomon himself raised up and gave authority to because he was an industrious man. So Jeroboam becomes Solomon's third thorn in the side, if you will. Third thorn. Here we see Jeroboam as a gifted industrial man, but we see Jeroboam didn't have a history with God. But yet God's going to bless him, and he's, notice one thing. He kept on saying, Israel, Israel. Anybody know the names of the two nations? One in the south, one in the north? I can't hear you. Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Right. The ten tribes become Israel. They become known as Israel. Judah is a tribe all by itself with Benjamin, and they become Judah. Two different nations. Two different kings. And they're at each other's neck for the next 400 years. All because of Solomon's sin. So... He doesn't have a history with God, but God blesses him, and he meets Adjadah, the prophet, and he tells him that God will make him king over the ten tribes, leaving Solomon with only one, but really is Benjamin too, thus fulfilling God's pronouncements in first king. See, God is using someone else, not even, not even a man of God. He's using someone completely stranger to carry out his will. And what does this mean? That sometimes in your life, God will use a non-Christian to correct you. He will use a non-Christian to correct you and show you what God wants you to do. Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah, it happened to me. It happened to me. It's like, ugh. God promised to divide Israel and put the 10 of the 12 tribes under Jeroboam as a judgment for the sin and idolatry of Solomon. Remember, this is all because of Solomon's disobedience. There's a reason this is happening. It wasn't arbitrary. God didn't, wake, didn't just say one day, you know what, I'm going to shake some things up. No, this was because of Solomon's sin. Why did he keep the one tribe? Because of David. David, the house of Judah, 
All the kings of Judah, look on your genealogies. Look in Matthew, look in Luke, file the genealogies down. Where do they all come from? Judah. Who's at the end? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, because he comes from the house of Judah. He comes from the kingly reign of Judah. So God is still keeping the Davidic covenant. He's still keeping that going, but he's only using one nation or one tribe to do that. This is the first time we hear of a divided kingdom. This is the first time we hear of this divided kingdom, and it's going to be a thorn in Israel and Judah's side, like I said, for the next 400 years. You would expect this. Thank you, Lord, for saying that. You would think that Jeroboam would get larger and larger and larger and trying to take care, but he doesn't do that. It didn't work out that way because the Lord takes care of it. And we read in Scripture that those ten tribes known as Israel, they forsake the Lord also. They walk away from the Lord too. They walk completely away. And as you read through the book of 1 Kings, as you read through the book of 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, you come to a king and the first words you read are, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Every now and then, you get one that says, and he did right in the sight of the Lord. But the majority of times, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Both Jeroboam and David were appointed by God to follow disobedient kings. David followed Saul and Jeroboam follows Solomon. And God blessed the reign. And Jeroboam didn't wait on the Lord and he made his own way to the throne. But God didn't bless his reign. But Solomon resisted the Lord's discipline. One more time. Why? Verse 40. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. He said, I'll take care of this mess. I'll kill the guy. So he's resisting discipline one more time. He's still resisting discipline. God specifically said that this would happen after the death of Solomon in judgment for Solomon's apostasy. Solomon didn't want to hear it. So he says, let's kill the guy. Solomon thought he could defeat God's will. <laughs> oh, foolish man. Oh, foolish, foolish man. Foolish man. Nothing will ever stop the will of God. Nothing. Nothing ever made, nothing ever unmade. Anything will not stop God's perfect will. It won't happen. So, in verse 41 through 43, as we finish chapter 11, we say goodbye to Solomon. Now, the rest of the Acts of Solomon and all he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all of Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Interestingly, Solomon reigned the exact amount of time that David reigned, 40 years. 40 years. Anybody, any numerologists out there, what does 40 mean? Judgment. 40 means judgment. Reign for how long? 40 days, 40 nights. 40 usually means judgment. Each of them left behind a different Israel. David leaves a unified kingdom. Solomon left the kingdom divided. Why? Look at the state of a heart. Again, the state of their hearts. David's heart never left the Lord, even though he was a sinner personified. His heart never left the Lord. To the point where God calls him a man after my own heart. Solomon's heart, on the other hand, 
was completely different. Completely different. His heart was divided. He wanted to serve God, and he wanted to serve mammon. What did Jesus say? Can't do that. Can't serve God and mammon. So Solomon leaves the scene, a man who started out gloriously and ended up rather sadly. So sad. I want to finish well, don't you? I want to finish strong. I want to finish well. Solomon doesn't look like he finished well. He started out in the will of God, wanting a relationship with God, seeking God. God spoke to him. God spoke to him. He received all kinds of things to rule the kingdom. He asked for, for wisdom, and he got it. Plus, he got all kinds of, of, of wealth, but he couldn't handle the success. The more he got, the more he wanted. More horses, more chariots, more gold, more silver, and for some crazy reason, more wives. And even after obtaining all that, he still wasn't satisfied. And he began to do evil in the sight of the Lord. He worshipped foreign gods. He built altars in high places which were specifically against God's will. He didn't listen or heed the warnings given to him by God. He disobeyed God's law. He ignored God's warning. And he resisted God's discipline. Solomon is known for his great wisdom. But he ends up walking the path of a fool. How sad. How sad. By the end of his life, Solomon is led to write a book inspired by the Holy Spirit. Kind of like a journal of his fall into carnality. Name of the book? Ecclesiastes. He writes these words. Listen to what he writes at the end of this book after saying everything is vanity. Everything is vanity. Listen to what he writes at the end. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Unfortunately, Solomon had to learn the hard way. The last look of the life of Solomon in 1 Kings leads us to believe that he died in apostasy. There is no hopeful or cheerful end to the story or the account. One commentator said this, quote, If he did repent... Yet the silence of the scriptures about it in history was not without reason. As among others, that this eternal condition being thus far left doubtful, his example might have greater influence for the terror and the caution of future offenders. Have you disobeyed the Lord? Have you ignored his warnings? Have you resisted his discipline? I'm going to finish by just reading to you a chapter I'm going to read you a chapter. If you have your Bibles, which I know you do, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I don't need to explain it because the Bible speaks for itself. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible, and it speaks for itself. And I'm going to read all 28, 9 verses, and then we're going to go to prayer. This is how we're going to end Chapter 12 in Hebrews, beginning in verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love that. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. 
You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges the very son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Do you get what he's saying here? Do you hear how it applies to Solomon? No chastening seems to be joyful to the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hear the results of discipline. Hear the results of chastening when God chastens his children. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Therefore, he goes, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed for two people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any bit root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this they become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected to be found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that you may be touched and that burned with fire to the blackness and darkness of the tempest. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was command. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion where the cross is, and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. I think that speaks for itself. If you're doing things and you're not being chastened, you need to think. You need to think about what you're doing. You need to think about why you're doing it. You need to think, where is your relationship with God? But when we do things and we are chastened, don't despise it. Know that the Lord has a plan for you. And it's his way of bringing you back to like a father or a mother who disciplines their children when they do wrong, trying to show them the correct way, trying to show them the right way to go. God uses this. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no condemnation here. I'm not pointing fingers and saying, there's no condemnation here for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's all about restoration. It's all about lifting up. It's all about looking to the Lord. Solomon refused. Solomon refused. And he fell deeper and deeper and deeper into sin and didn't come back. There's always an avenue back to the Lord. You can never stray too far from the Lord without coming back. You cannot. 
You stray and stray and stray. He's always there with his arms open, welcoming you back as a son or a daughter. Always. Don't take this route. Heed the warnings of the word of God. And get right with, get your heart right with God. Get your heart right with the Lord, your creator, the God of the universe who wants to have this great relationship with you and as a good, good father will discipline you if you need it. Just like when your child steps out of line. That's all God wants is you to walk the straight path into his arms. If, if you're in trouble, we'd love to pray for you and help you. Come back into the arms of God. If, if you've ignored the warnings, if you are, are trying to resist the discipline, if, if, you, if you are in an area of, of uneasiness, we know the way back. And the way back is to turn, repent, and come back to Christ. That's the way back. That's the way back. The way back is still as narrow. You need to go back to the cross. Jesus is not going to get back up on the cross again. He did it once and for all. The sacrifice is still the same. But you need to recognize it and accept that and ask for forgiveness of sin. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all righteousness. So I'm going to ask that as we go to prayer, spend some time with the Lord, maybe by yourselves, maybe with the group. Spend some time with the Lord, getting right with him. Please know that God disciplines those he loves. Father, I thank you that we can come to your word and we can read it and, Lord, not feel condemned because of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray, Lord, for my heart that it would be right to you. I pray, Lord, that I would recognize your chastening. I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't ignore the signs and I wouldn't resist. I pray, Lord, for me that you would help me in, in some of the things that I'm going through, that you would help me see you in the midst of them, and you would help me draw ever closer to you, Lord Jesus. And that's what it's about, Lord. You want us to draw closer to you. And Father, I pray for these saints that have gathered here, that you would overwhelm them by your spirit, overwhelm them with your love, overwhelm them with the love you have for them in Christ Jesus, that they wouldn't want to stray any further. They wouldn't want to look to foreign gods. They wouldn't want to look to anything else except you, and that you would be their all in all. And Lord, you would touch them. Lord, even in your chastening, you're not angry. Even in your chastening, there's love, mercy, and grace. Oh, Lord, you've never given us what we truly deserve because we deserve death, but you've spared us by your grace, by your son Jesus on a cross. So, Father, we thank you. And I ask, Lord, that you would touch hearts tonight. And we would draw back to you so ever so closely, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love and your mercy, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you're long-suffering with us, Lord. But, Lord, we know that your judgment is true and just, and your discipline is fair. So, Lord, help us. Oh, help us to be your sons and daughters and love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Thanks for tuning in. Throughout the book of 1 Kings, we read about rulers who had victories and rulers who failed miserably. King Solomon, known as the wisest king, made his own fair share of mistakes in his life. In fact, in his later years, he began to put his faith in wealth and women rather than wisdom of the Lord. How often do we do that? How often do we put our faith in the worldly things rather than in the Word of God? If you have some questions about what you heard today, we'd be happy to try to answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the Messages tab when you visit AssureHopeRadio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. Each Sunday, we gather at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find directions and more about Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at AssureHopeRadio.com. There's more to learn from the Book of 1 Kings next time, so be sure to join us again right here on Assure Hope.